Um, are we ready, James? Okay. Guys, um, we've been talking about Gilgal and we are moving on from Gilgal now. Um, once you were past Gilgal, you would enter into your inheritance or the land that was rightfully yours. So, um, uh, just uh, pay careful attention to this introduction because it's uh, usually introductions are just lead-ins and not all that important, but this one is a little important. Um, as you enter into your inheritance, and if you want to find out what your inheritance is, uh, you'll have to take get CD number 3482 from... No, I'm just kidding. You'll have to just get that CD. It's um, Wayne Hassett. He's going to set up a library, by the way, so you can borrow these CDs whenever you want and return them. So as we enter into our inheritance... I want us to know that it is possible to labor in the wrong land. As you enter into your inheritance, it is possible for you to labor in the wrong land. And what do I mean by land here? Your land is your business. Your land is perhaps your vocation, your family, your ministry, your mandate, your mantle, your church. All this is your land, everything that concerns your life. If you're married, it's your family, uh, your ministry, f your church, uh, your vocation or your occupation, your um, mantle or mandate, and your business, or whatever you're doing right now. All this is part of the land. And as you enter into your inheritance, it is possible to work or labor in the wrong land. See, Jesus could have been working as a carpenter. He could have been employed as a rabbi. Perhaps as one of the political leaders bringing down Rome. He could have tried doing things by being part of the religious, religious order. But he knew what was his and so he went towards it. It is possible to work um, in the wrong land. And you must discern the land that is yours. So remember this guys. You must discern the land that is yours. Discern the land that is yours. Once you discern the land that is yours, you must buy that land, not lease it. You don't lease the land that is yours. Meaning once you find out, aha, this is what God has at present, or God for the rest of my life has begun to allot to me. Once you see that, don't visit it occasionally. We have that in India. I don't know whether you have it here. Where you buy plots and plots of land and every once in a year, you'll go have a look at the land and come back. No, 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 no. You Once you discern that the land is yours, you buy it. You don't lease it. You buy it. Meaning, you, you take whatever treasure you have and you pour it into this one piece of land. Everything that you have. I was listening to this pastor talk about a man who wanted a piece of land and had to give up his... Uh, forget the story, it's too long. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so buy the land. Sorry? Uh, whatever, whatever you have, pour everything into the land. Remember the man who bought the piece of land in the Bible? He saw land with treasure in it. He wanted it. He took everything that was his. And sold it so that he could buy this one land that belonged, that he wanted. Everything will be worth it. And thirdly, once you buy the land, the process is not over. Once you buy the land, you have to possess the land. 
once you buy the land, you have to possess the land. I read somewhere that people have bought land in Dubai, parcels of land in the middle of the ocean, artificially created islands for 10 to 45 million. They have bought the land, but because the market has collapsed, they don't possess the land. They've got a piece of sand in the middle of the ocean with nothing on it. I mean, you can do castaway part two on that island. That's about it. So you discern the land, you buy the land, and then you possess the land. This is why I said this introduction is important, because we may be talking about this for the next three weeks, and I'll always refer you to this introduction. Uh, you can ask after uh, the intro, and we'll talk about that. The other thing we need to understand about land is it is not the size of the land that matters. It is, is it your piece of land? Is it your allotted piece of land? That's what matters. Because your land will, produ- will, will bring a produce that is abundant. If it is your land, it will bring abundance. It's not the piece of land you cultivate. It's the piece of land you cultivate, not the size of the land. It's the piece of land that you cultivate that brings an abundance, not the size of the land. (coughs) Not the size of the land. Each one of us... uh, Guys, uh, let me put it this way. You want a real-life example. Um, I have absolutely no ambition to run a church of more uh, than 500 or 1,000 people, even though that would mean... um, a greater number of souls to uh, touch, greater number of people to teach, a greater salary, um, b- m- m- perhaps a laptop computer, an SUV, and uh, stuff like that. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. It's not the size of the land. It's a piece of the land that you cultivate. This, If this were to remain this way for the rest of my life, and it is not going to because of the prophetic word that we heard over this house mm, through Eddie uh, just day before yesterday, But should it remain this way, you know, this would be the land that would bring abundance to me. And I don't mean abundance in money. I mean abundance as in satisfy abundance. I've spoken to Eddie, so I just repeated that. So, um, and, and I'd suggest that you get to it quickly. Otherwise, by the time you possess the land, you'll have very little time to cultivate it. Get to it quickly, meaning do everything you can to discern the land, to buy it. Do everything you can. Because if you do not get to it, if you do not actively, um, and we'll talk about how to seek it, actively seek it, then what will happen is by the time you actually buy it, no, you'll be 85. Which in Gisela's case gives another 30 years, but not necessarily in all your cases. So, You'll be 85 and you wouldn't know what to do. You're not 85 yet. No. Okay. Not by far. Not by far. I know you were younger than Gisela. I just had to take an age that no one was here. <laughs> so, um, get to it. Otherwise, by the time you possess it, you'll have very little time to cultivate it. And today, what we're going to talk about is time sharing in the wrong land. Time sharing in the wrong land. Do you know what time sharing is? Time sharing is when a certain um, property is allotted to you for one week or two weeks a year. It doesn't belong to you, but you can go vacation there. Now, unfortunately, time sharing in the wrong land can be so detrimental to your physical and spiritual life here on earth. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about. Any questions? Until we don't discern the land, we have to be in a 
Yeah, that's why I said get to it. We have to discern the land allotted to us. I mean, as soon as Israel entered into the promised land, they were told, hey, uh, uh, tribe of Dan, this is your portion. Hey, tribe of Judah, this is your portion. Hey, Levites, you have no portion. I'm your portion. Everything was allotted. Now, if God does that in the old covenant, how much more in the new covenant where we are covenant children directly from Abraham? There's no gap. This is yours. I mean, uh, like I have so encouraged us to uh, figure out your inheritance for 2010. What has God got for you in 2010? Uh, And to just visit it for a second, how do we find out? We go over everything that has been spoken over us over the last two years. We go over scriptures that have leapt out at us. We go over themes that have persisted. And we develop uh, uh, on written form so that it's not in here your here is not as bright as you think it is here so it's better to have it written and then look at it and then you have an inheritance you have an idea of uh, I cannot tell you how marvelously it works and it is not a specific example it's a generic thing that works wonderfully God said it to Habakkuk put your vision on a billboard Set it up so that people can see it. I I saw it today. I went over it again today. I hadn't done it for the last 10 or 12 days. I went over it to see what's happening. Because other portions are being added to it. If you haven't done it yet, I encourage you to. Yep. Hey, by the way, she uh, is officially being booted out of Emmanuel. Oh, they, they, that's the usual booting thing. They give you flowers when they boot you. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Yeah. You can't be in the wrong family. What I meant is your land is your family. So, uh, if you, okay, oh, you should have taken another week at Emmanuel. <laughs> so, okay, how, how, how does it? How, how does? Huh? You're forgiven. How does it apply to families? Um, how can families be working in the wrong land? I don't know. We'll have to come back to that. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, I don't know. I hadn't thought of how it works. Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll come back. I'll try to. Figure out an answer, either Your towards. Working in the wrong land. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I think sometimes we, without asking God, we make a family like you know we uh, gather. Yeah. A group of people, and we think that this is the family that God wants us to, to be with. Be part of. Yeah. That would apply to the church as such, yeah. but when I wrote family, I actually meant oh. uh, like physical family. Yeah. So, um, let me see if there is. Uh, irrational to that. <laughs> there is, there is. I just don't remember it. So, uh, to, what we're going to do is we're going to read First Kings thirteen. First Kings thirteen. can see that you're dying to read, so live and read. The whole thing? Yes. 
Any time today. Page 296. <laughs> Go Kings, First Kings 13. By the word of the Lord... A man of God came from Judah to Bethel as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. He cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord. Oh, altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who now make offerings here and human bones will be burned on you. That same day, the man of God gave a sign. And this is the sign that the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart and the ashes on it will be poured out. When King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar at Bethel, he stretched out his hand from the altar and he said, Seize him! But the hand he stretched out toward the man shriveled up so that he could not pull it back. Also, the altar was split apart and its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God by the word of the Lord. Then the king said to the man of God, Intercede with the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. So the man of God interceded with the Lord and the king's hand was restored and it became as it was before. The king said to the man of God, Come home with me and have something to eat and I will give you a gift. But the man of God answered the king, Even if you were to give me half your possessions, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water here. For I was commanded by the word of the Lord, You must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. So he took another road and did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. Now there was a certain old prophet living in Bethel, whose sons came and told him that the man of God had done there that day. They also told their father that he had said to the king, uh, what he had said to the king. Their father asked them, which way did he go? And his sons showed him which road the man of God from Judah had taken. So he said to his sons, saddle up the donkey for me. And when they had saddled the donkey for him, he mounted it and rode after the man of God. He found him sitting under an oak tree and he asked, are you the man of God who came from Judah? I am, he replied. So the prophet said to him, Come home with me and eat. The man of God said, I cannot turn back and go with you, nor can I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. I have been told by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water there, or return by the way you came. The old prophet answered, I too am a prophet, as you are. And an angel said to me, by the word of the Lord, Bring him back with you to your house, so that he may eat bread and drink water. But he was lying to him. And so the man of God returned with him, and ate drank and drank in his house. While they were sitting at the table, the word of the Lord came to the old prophet who had brought him back. He cried out to the man of God who had come from Judah. This is what the Lord says. You have defied the word of the Lord and have not kept command that the Lord your God gave you. You came back and you ate bread and you drank water in the place where he told you not to eat or drink. Therefore, your body will not be buried in the tomb of your fathers. When the man of God had finished eating and drinking, the, donkey, uh, the prophet who had brought him back saddled his donkey for him 
As he went on his way, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown down on the road with both the donkey and the lion standing beside it. Some people who passed by saw the body thrown down there with the lion standing beside the body and they went and reported it in the city where the old prophet lived. When the prophet who had brought him back from this journey heard of it, he said, It is the man of God who defied the word of the Lord. The Lord has given him over to the lion which has mauled him and killed him, as the word of the Lord had warned him. The prophet said to his sons, Saddle the donkey for me, and they did so. And then he went out, and he found the body thrown down on the road, with the donkey and the lion standing beside it. The lion had neither eaten the body nor mauled the donkey. So the prophet picked up the body of the man of God, laid it on the donkey, and brought it back to his own city, to mourn for him and to bury him. Then he laid the body in his own tomb and they mourned over him and said, Oh, my brother. After burying him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones, for the message he declared by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines on the high places in the towns of Samaria will certainly come true. Even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways, but once more appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. And anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for the high places. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. Quite a story, eh? Can I have the mic back? <laughs> we will talk about that. Uh, guys, um, before we talk about that, some families that uh, labor in the wrong land, uh, Lot. Lot lost two son-in-laws and uh, his wife because he chose to labor in the wrong land. Another family that labored in the wrong land, Eli's family. Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, ended up dying, Eli died too because when they were allotted a portion and were asked to take care of it properly, they did not buy and pour everything into it but began to play the fool with the piece of land. Lot's family is one such family, Eli and uh, Hoff, uh, Eli, Hophni and Phinehas and another family. I could name a few more but those are two families that labored in the wrong land. So it's more the families laboring in the wrong land rather than the family being the land that you're laboring yeah, the the family then becomes a unit where they go and labor in a wrong land and not the family being the land. Okay, because I understood it based on how you said it, that the wrong land, because you had mentioned in the business could be a wrong land, vocation could be a wrong land, yeah. the family could be a wrong land. Yeah, and, and when it comes to the family, it's not so much the family being the wrong land, because once you're married to your wife, she's not the wrong land, but it's them being in the wrong situation because the family has chosen to work in a certain way. So that's how you would see it. So um, this story is quite a story, and I was surprised that God wanted to deal with this story because I've always avoided it with great uh, skill. So to begin with, uh, on your sheet of paper, we see different titles, so we'll deal with each of them. Uh, first, we need to consider, uh, to understand the story, we need to understand who Jeroboam, Jeroboam was. Now, Jeroboam was a king of the northern tribes of Israel. Israel by now had been divided into two guys. There was Judah, and there was Israel. Judah was one tribe, 
The rest of the 11 tribes were called the Northern Kingdom of Israel. Jeroboam was the king of the Northern, northern tribes of Israel. And he was not a nice guy. His mother's name was Zeruah. Zeruah. And Zeruah means leprous. His mother was a leper. His mother's name was Zeruah. It's in 1 Kings 12, 26. Uh, sorry, 1 Kings 11, 26. You find that his mother was leprous. Now, um, we take uh, the Old Testament and examine it from the eyes of the New Testament. And Jeroboam is a system. Jeroboam is a system. Here is a king who represents a system. And the first thing we know about the system is that it is leprous. It is born out of leprosy or it is leprous. Meaning it is isolated. It is isolated. It is cast out. It is uh, a loner. It's that kind of a system. So the first thing we understand about Jeroboam, the, the system that Jeroboam represents, that is that this system is isolated, it is cast out, and it, it usually um, works on its own. It's, it's a loner. No, Jeroboam actually means, uh, I will contend for the people, or I will plead the cause of the people. That's what the word Jeroboam means. Jeroboam has nothing to do with I will contend for God or I will contend for the cause of God. Jeroboam means I will contend for the cause of the people. That's the second part of the system where it's a system that contends for the cause, contends for the cause of the people. Guys, pay attention to this because you have to figure out if areas of your life are absorbed in a system like this. Because if it is, it's the wrong land. It is leprous, meaning uh, the, the, what spawns this land is, is something that is cast out, something that has come because it's been splintered, because it's been divided, because it's been isolated from normalcy. I would say to you that you will spawn Jeroboam if you choose to be isolated. I guarantee you that. Let me say that again. You will spawn Jeroboam if you choose to be isolated. I always say this. You cannot live together alone. Yeah. This is a system. It can apply to a. It can apply to a church. It can apply to your life. It can apply to a, most anything. If, uh, for instance, if you are part of a church that contends for the cause of the people, then it is a system that is typical of Jeroboam. If you are from a, a group or a, a group of people or a church or a family that is isolated, or you are part of a church and choose to be isolated, you will spawn Jeroboam. It's just natural. Um, lepers, lepers were always outcasts, and so very. Uh, I, I would say very often churches that come out of splits or that have removed themselves or are cast out or that have broken off and decided to build themselves without being sent will spawn a Jeroboam-like system. 
Pardon? Contend for the cause of people. It's when God's, uh, f- the aims are not God's. The aims are, how can I make Anne happy? And how can I still make Matt happy while making Anne happy and making sure that she doesn't know that I have made them both happy because now if she finds out, I'll have to make her happy and he may not be happy about it. And then there's James. So, so Jeroboam contends for the cause of people and he did things for the cause of the people, guys. He uh, did amazing things. He decided that, aha, now that I've become king, I'll set up an altar at Bethel and I'll set up an altar at Dan. Why? Because then people won't have to travel all the way to Jerusalem, which wasn't really very far. They will stay at Dan and Bethel. And then he thought, they have a real altar at um, uh, um, uh, Jerusalem, so I'll, I'll build a golden calf. And I'll say, children of Israel, come worship this golden calf. Remember Aaron created this in the desert? I now legitimize it as king. And then he built another golden calf at Dan. And they said, come worship this. And so he made objects of worship that were both palatable to the Israelites and the Canaanites. A Jeroboam system will make everything attractive, engaging, appetizing to your needs of the soul. People pleases. Another thing that Jeroboam did is he decided that the Levites don't have to be priests. He said, you know what, don't want an order called Levites who are set apart and sanctified for God's worship. Anybody can be a priest. So he decided, anyone who wants to be a priest, come, come. You want to be a priest, come. Everybody. Oh, you don't need to be separated. No need of holiness. No need of being sanctified before God. Everyone come. Made it an open a friendly, non... It, it was, there was no need of separation. There was no need of a lifestyle of that was separate to be a priest. That's another thing Jeroboam does. Then he went a step further. He decided that uh, the Feast of the Tabernacles is a feast that celebrates rest, dependence on God and the harvest. Let's put away that feast. Let's come up with a new feast that will celebrate just the harvest, the work of your hands. So he reinstituted another feast in the place of the Feast of Tabernacles. Began to elevate the work of your hands as opposed to rest and dependence. This applies tremendously, the system of Jeroboam applies tremendously to churches, guys. Tremendously to churches. A little less to our individual lives. You have to find out with regard to your individual lives, do you prefer... um, going to um, easy places to receive easy food, uh, regardless of what area of your life it is? Would you you rather be challenged? Would you rather be um, in your face by God and by people? Or would you like some soft place to go to? You know the best way to go to soft places? Don't get engaged with people. Stay isolated. No one will check you. The less engaged a people are, the more the lack of restraint. When a vision begins to unite people, restraint comes in. Which is why as long as we can have church loosey-goosey, it's fine. It'll be okay. You can't step into my space, I can't step into your space. Your sin is your private matter. What you do with your life is your own. I got a news flash for you, that was never how church was meant to be. It was not meant to be controlling, but it was never meant to be the way we have made it. 
This system dilutes beliefs so that they can be more palatable, more engaging, more appetizing. This system builds golden calves. We talked about what golden calves are months ago. A golden calf is anything that we create here on earth with our own hands. That's what Aaron did in the desert. He took gold and with his hands he brought out a golden calf and he said to Israel, here is your God. While Moses was face to face with the living God. So much so that the mountain shook. While that's happening on the mountain, here is a man creating a golden calf. It's ridiculous. But a golden calf is that which is created with human wisdom and human hands. So here's my question to you. Is there a Jeroboamic system in your life where you and I still create things with our hands and our human wisdom? When you have financial troubles, when I have an issue to deal with, when I'm struggling with something or when there is a sickness, what is your first resort? Is it human wisdom and human strength or is it the God of Abraham who met you on Mount Sinai? Let me throw another one which will make uh, us uncomfortable at times. How many streams do you drink out of? Do you drink out of Jerusalem, Dan and Bethel? Or have you decided that Jerusalem is a primary altar that I will go and drink from? You cannot drink out of multiple streams and expect the water to be less than muddy. Your source. Spiritual uh, source. What is your spiritual source? Is it Benny Hinn plus uh, um, uh, Morris Cerullo plus Jacob plus Eddie plus uh, four other prophets visiting plus... Um, um, uh, um, everyone who appears on It's a New Day, oh, what is it? What is your primary stream? What have you decided is going to be your plumb line? What is it going to be? No, that's not wrong. What I'm saying is, uh, uh, I, I wish it was a plumb line like that, where where we have a primary stream. It's usually not the case. We've got multiple streams. I had multiple streams in my life for most of my life. Oh, by the way, if you thought this was a nice message, it's not. When you find that water is salty at one stage, sweet at another stage, um, taste of almonds at some other place, and then has coffee mixed in it at another place, where there's absolutely no sinking now. I mean, I know the taste of water from my tap every morning. There's a constancy to it. Yeah, yeah. And none of the people I mentioned do I have a bone to pick with, okay? Um, so uh, these were not deliberately chosen names. These were names that rolled off my tongue because they are names that are well known. You heard of Jacob, right? Okay, Jacob who, okay. Any questions on Jeroboam before we go on? If you want to find out more about Jeroboam, you can read First Kings 12, the last uh, few verses, and you'll see that all I was saying, all I'm saying is true. Guys, this is not about attendance, okay? It is not about attendance. I mean, why are Tino and Suhani not here? Why can't Amrit come every week? Because they have kids that cannot come and stay here through the night. This is not about attendance. It is about figuring out where your primary source is. 
A lot of this applies to church. And again, I say to you very, uh, very, very, very uh, emphatically, but very gently, that your life is affected by the corporate body that you have sown yourself into. So you have only one or two choices. Either sow rightly so that you benefit, or don't sow yourself so that you are like a windsock that turns whichever way the wind blows. That's just the way it is. Questions? Don't be... um, this is not a bowling alley, okay? If you feel like nine pins, stand up and say, no, I don't agree. Just because I say it a little strongly does not necessarily mean that it's correct. So if you don't think it's correct, challenge me on it. How, how does it apply? Because I know what you're saying, but I don't sort of see in my life how I would be taking from multiple streams. Or if you're not... Somebody sort of like at this church, sort of church hops and goes all around to different churches looking and looking... Most people here are sort of stable in Acts 29. So Good, Matt. So now when the next uh, group of people come and we increase in size, uh, you have principles to teach them. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is not about finding fault with your life. If you uh, are feeling that you are at fault, either deal with it or come and talk to me. Then come and challenge it. But sort it out. Sort it out. I mean, there are times when I've watched uh, stuff uh, that people talk about on the demonic and uh, we were sitting at white spot and we were talking about it and it contradicts the Bible, but if you're famous and you say it, it's good. Many truths are created by repeating them over and over again. They're still false, but they are passed off a truth because if you repeat a truth 20 times on, on a channel, it becomes a truth. What if iguanas really didn't fall off the tree and I told you a lie and you tell it to 20 other people? But they did fall off the tree. Let's move on to the prophet from Judah. (coughs) Guys, I'm, I'm passionate about this Jeroboam multiple stream thing because it is important for us in this house to recognize this, guys. Your lives will be affected by what you are uh, what you are choosing to be a part of because you could you could be led astray yeah yeah are you referring to um, be careful what you're reading and listening to as no uh, i think it's be aware of the systems that are around that can dilute and adulterate what god is trying to do in your life right now do not be a drinker from many streams it's not the way it works never the way god wanted it Um, I would take Jeroboam's life uh, as an example. Uh, other places where uh, Paul talks about you have 10,000 guardians, but you have only one father. Why is it that when you accepted what we taught you, why is it that you're now opening your doors and letting anybody come and teach you things that are completely contrary to what you were taught? Don't you know that even if an angel comes and teaches you a message other than that was first preached with you and that you recognize this truth, that you should not even listen to the angels? I don't know where it is, but uh, it's, I'll get it. It's, yeah, came and said this to me. Yeah. 
Let's talk about the Prophet from Judah. Now this guy from Judah, we call him the Judean Prophet, the guy who came riding on a donkey. Man, he was perhaps as courageous as Elijah. Elijah went on Mount Carmel and he challenged um, the prophets of Baal and Jezebel. This guy, who is from Judah, rides 10 miles into enemy territory, if you want to call it that, because they were kind of at... uh, um, they, they were not friendly with each other. And he goes up to the king who has assumed the role of a priest and is now uh, b- um, burning incense on an altar to the golden calf. And he goes up to the king and he begins to tell the king that you are doing this. Is a, I mean, just imagine that, guys. It's like going up to one of the kings in the Middle East and in the middle of a service and telling him he's doing wrong. And the king gets hopping mad. He takes up his hand and he's going to strike the guy when his hand begins to wither. So this was a man of, not. this was not a, he may just be called the Judean prophet, but he was a guy of uh, courage, almost on par with Elijah. He confronted the king for his idolatry. And then he stands firm against flattery. He stands firm against uh, the king's wrath. He stands firm against the lure of money that was offered to him by the king. He stands firm against it. This guy was like, um, what do you call that? No, like he had substance. He had, he had, uh, he had substance, man. He was not some kind of a wishy-washy prophet who just turned up from nowhere. What else does he do, guys? Look at his prophetic word. Huh? Look at the accuracy. He tells the king that three hundred years from now. On this very altar, the bones of false priests will be burned. And then he says, there will be a king who arises, and that the name of the king will be Josiah. You know how much later it happens? 300 years later. But he was so accurate in his prophecy, that he names one of the six people named in the Bible. Ishmael was named, Jesus was named, Josiah was named, and a few others were named. A John was named. And there are two more. There are only six people that have been named in the Bible. And this prophet was in charge of naming one of them. He says 300 years from now, there will be a king called Josiah. And on this altar that you have built, there will be bodies that will be burnt. It happens 300 years later. He doesn't use the word 300. But he prophesies it and it's for a time in the future. It was an accurate prophecy. He was an accurate prophet. Um, he seemed to know the ways of God. You know, the uh, the word used um, in this chapter is the word of the Lord came to me. And the, the Hebrew usage of the word of the Lord has been used seven times in this chapter. It's only used 12 times in the Old Testament. Out of it, seven times it's used in this book. But that's just a thing on the side. He seemed to be intimately acquainted with the ways, the heart and the character and the words of Yahweh. And he seemed to have govern- governmental authority, man. Um, when he said, uh, when the king raised his hand to strike and the man said, whatever he said, the guy's hand withered. That's like Peter, when uh, he said, for a time now you will be blind. And in Acts chapter 9 or 10, the guy who was a sorcerer, he goes blind. It's like that. He had that kind of power. So, um, it's quite something that this man had this kind of power and that at the king's displeasure, without saying a word, his hand withered off. And then at the prophet's pleasure, he, the hand was restored. So this was no ordinary man. 
So when we think of this man being deceived, please understand that this was not an easy thing to happen. This was a powerful man of God who ended up the way he ended up. It's strange, such a strange story. Any questions? How? What happened? I mean, how come a man who knows the voice of God, who knows his ways and character, who has this kind of power, uh, in a matter of less than an hour and a half or two or three hours is completely undone? Why? How? Okay. True, true. Uh, that's yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the old prophet from Bethel. We'll call him the old prophet from Bethel. Now, the old prophet from Bethel was uh, perhaps uh, from Samuel's school of prophets. Samuel used to have um, Samuel used to do this um, uh, journey where he would go from Mizpah to Bethel to Gilgal, and he used to have this. Uh, journey that he used to do while he was the judge in Israel and uh, it is uh, supposed that he established schools there Elijah also had schools in Bethel later on so this man could have been trained he was a resident of Bethel he could have been trained by Samuel it is possible Uh, let's put it this way he had an idea of what it was to be the prophet of God he did have that idea. He perhaps was trained in one of uh, Samuel's schools in Bethel. Um, but he had lived, uh, the strange thing is, if he had those abilities as a prophet, he was living under Jeroboam, yet he hadn't spoken a word against Jeroboam. So much so that God had to send a prophet from Judah to speak to Jeroboam. Here is a man who has an ability, who is prophetic, who has learned what it is to prophesy, perhaps under Samuel, he is called the old prophet right away. He is not uh, referred to as a diviner as in the case of Balaam. He is called a prophet. And so here is a man who had the ability and yet lives in a system that has the capacity to dilute anything. And he lives in that system and he doesn't say a word against it. So much so that God now has to send a prophet from Judah to Bethel. Because this man had now become part of the system. He was part of a defective system. And in being part of the defective system, uh, he had taken on the standards of apostate Israel. It happens easily, guys. This is why, again, gosh, you know that I'm not after you in this church. I do not want membership. You know that. I say I do not want and I say Acts 29 does not want membership. That is not the point. So do not worry about membership here. But guys, it is important that we lock into a place where you know without a shadow of a doubt that your inheritance will prosper. Because if you don't, then that which is within you can lie dormant in a system that will change it to look like itself. Connect to the right places, guys.
This man was cocooned in a climate of defiance. I mean, Jeroboam defied God openly. He didn't have any problems defying God. In every which way he was defying the God of Israel. And surprisingly, it was God who put him in that position to be king. Actually, it's uh, how it happens is Samuel goes and tears off a piece from this man's robe and says, here, this piece is uh, Judah and it will stay as separate and these 11 pieces will be the northern kingdoms. So, cocooned in a climate of defiance, in having multiple places of worship, uh, in a system that manipulates, in a system of soulish religion, in a system that profanes the precious precious. This prophet absorbed the values and the nature of the kingdom he was living in. Guys, there are many men and women of God uh, who have half-finished lives and go to their graves because uh, they never entered into the proper land but tried to thrive in a land that was not allotted to them. telling you the truth it is the saddest saddest thing any questions I could, I can never understand. I could never, in the past, understand sadness like this. But it is so sad when this happens. We'll figure out. In twenty minutes, we'll figure out. Okay, what if they think they are in the proper land? I, I would say to you that anyone who is uh, uh, has a heart that's pursuing God will always have sufficient speed bumps, warning signs, invitations to step out of the boat. Uh, that is the hardest part. The reason people stay in the land they are in is because to step into the land they are supposed to, it requires a stepping out of the boat. That is why people don't do it. I delayed stepping out of the boat because I was afraid. I could have come into the land I was supposed to sow in that was was my inheritance perhaps earlier. And I did not because I was scared. There are many. I I told you this. There were 33 pastors who came to attend um, uh, the teaching we did uh, when Sue, Heidi and I went 33 men came. And uh, out of that 33, three have um, expressed a a genuine desire to step out. 30 went back saying, it is not possible. And before we started the training, I told them, uh, with all seriousness, I said, please leave now. Because if you hear what I'm going to say from here on, you will be responsible for what you hear. So leave now. And they laughed, said, no, 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 we can handle it. And I said, I'm not kidding you. Leave now, because you will be held responsible for what you're going to hear. And they said, no, it's okay. And they stayed there. And when it was done, uh, when we asked, 30 of them will not go. 
will not step out of the boat. Because if they step out of the boat, they will anger their physical fathers. They will anger um, um, their congregation. They will uh, lose their source of uh, uh, secure income. They will lose their congregations. There's too much of a cost to pay, so they will not. So to answer your question, uh, there will be opportunities for those who are gung-ho, uh, or not gung-ho, those who are, have decided, I want to pursue all the inheritance God has for me. These people will have opportunities, invitations, speed blocks, warnings to help them step out of the boat into the land. What seems like water becomes terra firma under your feet when you step out of the boat. So with that group, what is some examples of them stepping out of the boat that they would refuse to do? Um, all these things I told you. They would lose all this. No, but what, 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 was, the, what was the actual thing that they had to do? Like they would have, if they began to live by the teachings that were taught, uh, they would have to change everything. Everything was set according to this system. Pleasing man, having multiple options so that everyone is happy, diluting things. Yeah, but so what, do they stop doing that or do they start, like, what is that? You would have to change it, Matt. Like, it's like, it's like if you told someone how to paint and they've been painting wrong all their lives and you say, paint the other way if you want to work here and they say, no, there's nothing you can do. It's teaching a new way of doing things. I had to learn it. I'm still learning it. We had to learn it with regard to the money thing that happened. But oh, I could have said, no, 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 that's too dangerous a thing. If we want to give Eddie, or if we want to give anyone, we'll keep raising. Because if we touch the money that comes into the church, that will upset our budget. And if it upsets our budget, I may not get paid. I cannot afford that. So let's not do that. It's a fair thought. Remember, budgets only pay off your debts. We don't live by budgets or savings, we live by... Surplus, right on, girl. <laughs> now let's look at the intent of each of these men. Let's look at the intent of each of these men. What was Jeroboam's intent in uh, inviting the priest, uh, inviting the prophet to dinner? He says, come, come, come to my home and eat with me. What was his intent? After the man's hand was healed, he says, Come home, uh, have dinner with me. What was Jeroboam's intent? What was the king's intent? To bring him on his side, why? The word that was spoken was harsh. So he, The hand is restored now. And he says, come home for dinner. So why would Jeroboam, what was his intent? Jeroboam wanted the prophet to enter into his system. Table fellowship or dining was the ultimate expression of friendship, guys. In that culture and even in many other cultures today, to enter into table fellowship was, ah, you're my brother now. And what the king was trying to do, he had just heard this uh, tough prophecy that he saw the altar split, which was like the desecration of an altar that he had promoted amongst the people. Now, he had a black face. Among, in front of the people. I mean, imagine, he's erected an altar, he's got a golden calf in the background, he's worshipping it, and in the middle of that, by the hand of God, the altar splits. And the ashes fall. It's like you've lost any ground to stand on. 
hand is healed, he says, come. Because he knew the moment the man came and ate with him, he would now have saved his face in front of the people, because the people would have said, aha, the prophet went and dined with the king, so things are okay. Two, he was trying to draw the man into his system. That's what Jeroboam's intent was. What is the uh, Judean prophet's intent in not eating? It's kind of obvious. Yeah. God told him not to and the prophet refuses to dine with the king knowing that one, it would violate God's explicit directions and two, uh, if he ate with the king it would uh, indicate approval for the king's method and behavior. So on one hand he wouldn't eat with the king because he God specifically told him go Finish your work, do not eat or drink, go back. And not by the same way. Very clear instructions. So one, it would be a violation of the instructions. Two, the moment he ate with the king, he would be indicating his approval of the king. This is why Paul later on in the New Testament says, with some people, do not even eat with them. Because your very association with them would be a sign of your approval on them. What is the old prophet's intent? Why did he call this man over for dinner? We're not talking about whether he lied or told the truth. But what do you think was the old prophet's intent? Why did he call uh, the man for dinner? By lying? To see what the outcome was? Right on. See, the old prophet was part of the defective system of Jeroboam. What he was doing, or his intent, because he knew everything. His sons came and told him what had happened and what the Judean prophet had spoken. That he is not to eat. He is to go by a different way. He knew everything. There was nothing hidden from him. He goes and invites the Judean prophet home because he knew that if this invitation worked, and the man came and ate with him. Then immediately the land would know that this prophet did not obey explicit word of God given to him. Therefore it would question everything else he said on behalf of God to the king. Disqualify him. It would question the validity of anything the man said. By having him come and eat, it would be a violation of God's word. And if this prophet can throw aside God's word and eat, that means... Even the other stuff that he said to Jeroboam at the altar could be suspect. The whole idea was to invalidate. But what about the prophetic word? The word would be rendered useless. It would bring question. It would it would bring question on the word of God. It would. But that's only part of it. Um, it's, it's literally like Moses striking the rock three times and being um, st- struck away from the inheritance. We, we cannot satisfy bits. The, we are very selective in our obedience. Here is a, condi- here is a place where a man spoke two things. He said, let's read those two things. Uh, go to First um, Kings 13. The first thing he said was this. Oh, altar, altar. Oh, sorry guys. Um, the uh, the 
Yeah, sorry. Verse 3. He cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord. O altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who now make offerings here. And human bones will be burnt on you. That is uh, quite an indictment of what Jeroboam was building. Jeroboam was offering Israel an altar to the golden calf saying, this is your God. And here comes a man saying, this altar is pathetic, it is useless, it's abominable. And then he goes on to say later on in verse um, um, 8, But the man of God answered the king, Even if you were to give me half your possessions, I would not go in with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water here. For I was commanded by the word of the Lord, You must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. So there are two sets of words delivered by God to this man. He decides... The old prophet's whole intent was, if I can get this guy to come and eat at my table, then he has completely disregarded what he said was the word of God. If that is the case, then now the other part can also be questioned. The validity of what he said to Jeroboam can be questioned. That was the intent of this old prophet. Where now a man who once used to speak for God goes to undermine those that speak for God. The whole intent was to disqualify the Judean prophet and what he said. That was why he went about doing this. Because he knew what had happened. You live under a defective system. You live under a manipulative, soulish system. Regardless of whether it's a house or whether it is our lives. I guarantee you, it will cocoon you and you will become part of it. It's just natural. It's impossible to live in a cesspool and not become part of it. You begin to smell of it. You begin to smell of it. The intent of the old prophet was to compromise the word of God by compromising the Judean prophet. Let me say that again. The intent of the old prophet was to compromise the word of God by compromising the Judean prophet. The moment the Judean prophet disobeyed God's words, the rest of what he said was also suspect. Especially in the eyes of Jeroboam, guys. Here is a king who's just received a word. And he's thinking to himself, okay, so the guy said this and that. He breaks that, so uh, this isn't as serious as it looks. Because he just broke what he said God told him specifically. So what kind of prophet is this who disregarded that so easily? So why should it happen to me? And these were spokesmen of God, guys. This was the only way God spoke in those days. So that was the intent of the old prophet. No, but word would spread there like crazy. I mean, before this man could even cross the boundary, his sons had come and told him. So, guys, if you turn your page, here's the question. What was the, um, uh, under the title trap, here's my question. How did the man of God end up in this terrible predicament? Why? How or why? I didn't even know how to frame the question. What is that one thing that set the trap going? message from the angel. But what is the one thing before that that initiates this whole trap? What is it that springs this trap? What is it before that? What is the one thing that could have completely um, caused this not to happen? 
a man was told, and this was a common thing in the Old Testament, guys. God would give these directions, and this man knew. The distance between Bethel and Judah is 10 miles. That's all. 10 miles. This man was told to go, give a word, finish the word, not eat or drink, and go home by a different way. There were other prophets that were told this. Elisha tells a young prophet, go to Jehu, prophesy on him. As soon as you finish prophesying, flee. Lot's wife was told, come out. But as you come out, do not for a second look back. This man knew how this works. Uh, Embedded in this command of God is a simple there was a simple understanding that you go finish you leave this man on a 10 mile journey decides to sit under the shade of the oak of Jerubo you know this oak was one of the few oaks on that way they say that this oak was so specific that it, it they could have almost called it the oak it, it's like hey let's meet at um, let's meet at uh, GM place everybody knows GM place or so let's meet at the hollow tree everybody knows the hollow tree in Stanley Park it's not hollow anymore, but it used to be uh, that way before. It's like that. He was found sitting under the shade of the oak in the land of Jeroboam. Had, he had left early. The sons come and tell the old prophet. The old prophet saddles a donkey and goes chasing after him, hoping that he will catch him. There was no need to be caught in deception or caught by the deceiver. But he made the mistake of sitting, of sitting under an oak in the kingdom of Jeroboam, which he knew was a kingdom that was abominable and was waiting the wrath of God. If it was a long journey, it is understandable. It was a 10 mile journey. Had he not camped, the old prophet would never have caught up. No, I would, I would not even look at the world or at um, um, the devil immediately. I would just look at our lives. and uh, Because this is pertaining to our lives, not the world. And I would say that anything that begins to compromise uh, me, because I have now sought to sit under the shade of the oaks in Jeroboam's territory, is something that I have to deal with. Yeah, the old prophet could be, I could come as an old prophet to you and I could lure you into sitting in a land, time sharing in the wrong land. I could do that. Because at that moment I am living under a system that is so deceptive that deception has become part of me. So I would love to deceive you. I think I'm doing the right thing. In fact, God uses me later to correct you. But deception has become part of my life because I live under a deceptive system. It's the same principle. We, we are not to look at the world in this, guys. We are to look at ourselves. When you begin to timeshare in a land that is wrong, let me assure you that deception will catch up with you. And we'll talk about that some more. We'll talk about the principles that we can draw out from this. Any questions before we go on? Let me finish the lion and then you can ask questions. Guys, the reason the lion was brought in 
was simply this. One, the lion was merely to guard the body of the prophet so that it would not return to the land that he came from and get buried there. Because the old prophet, after he lies, speaks the truth and he says, because you have not listened to God, your body will not return back to the land that you came from. So when a lion usually stands next to a body, it's highly unlikely that someone will have the guts to go take it for a burial. So part of the reason why the lion was there is so that this body is not taken to the land it came from. Secondly, the reason God sent the lion to attack this man and he's lying on the floor, he's not ripped apart and the donkey, donkey is standing there is because God wanted to show Jeroboam's kingdom that what this man spoke was actually true. The, the way this man died made it very obvious that this man was sent. His, his death was a miracle. His death was a sign. Uh, let, let me let me put it this way: um, the 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 prophet was killed in this fashion so that it would make it obvious that it was not an accident, but the hand of God in both disciplining him and in the validity of the words spoken. Let me say that again: the prophet was killed in the fashion that he was killed in to make it obvious that it was not an accident. No one who saw that scene would go back and say poor guy got attacked by a lion. Anybody who would look at it would say, man, and that lion was there and he was just standing there next to the prophet's body and there was a donkey and the lion and the donkey were happy and the lion and the dead prophet were happy and no one was eating up anybody. And it was a sign that this prophet was punished because he disobeyed God's word. And if this is how God dealt with this prophet, then we know that this prophet was sent from God and therefore it validates everything else he spoke to. So in that one death, in that one miraculous sign of death, God was achieving two ends. One, he was bringing forth discipline to show that this man did break the word and therefore he has died a death. And two, he was saying, this was no accident. I did it to him to show you that what he was spoken before was also true. And his grave... 300 years later, his grave was still there. It reminded people of what happened. When you go to 2 Kings 23, you'll find it. Josiah looks at the grave and he says, whose grave is this? And they said, this was the grave of the prophet who was killed by a lion. 300 years later, he was still remembered for what he did in splitting the altar and for prophesying that on this altar, the bones of priests will be burnt. And you know who burnt it? Josiah. So in his death, he became a prophetic voice. I plead with you, may your death not be a prophetic voice. I have seen far, no, not far too many. I have seen few too many whose death has been a lesson to learn from. I do not want my death to be a prophetic voice to Acts 29. And I pray God that when I die, that you do not canonize me. And what I mean by that is, don't just talk about how wonderful I was. I'm telling you, man, I'm so tired of, 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 the, of the whitewash that happens with people when they die. Is God taking you home or something? <laughs> may my death never amount to a prophetic warning to my children. If it does, may you not canonize me, but learn lessons from it. Let me put that again. And I really put this down as one of the principles we can draw. May my death never amount to a prophetic warning to you. And if it does, 
May you not canonize me, but learn from learn lessons from it. If for whatever reason I mess around and squander my inheritance and I die early before my time and God will make it obvious to you, then may you not say what a wonderful guy he was, but may you learn from the lessons of the mistakes I made that caused my death. When we canonize people after they die, no, we make them what they are not and we do not learn from what happened to them. Any questions, guys? I want to live, and I want to live right. And I plan to be around as long as he wants me to, and I expect to know when he's going to take me home. Can we go back to the church for a minute? Yep. Um, you had said you, would, you can understand the book of the longer journey. Yep. How long was my longer journey that you could understand? Uh, I don't know. I just know that 10 miles right. was... True. But I would look at it this way. He comes from a prophetic tradition where prophets knew what it was to walk naked for a year without burying their loincloths in mud walls, sleeping on one side, shaving their heads and burning one third of it. They knew what it was to serve God. This man was a man of courage. He had the metal for it. Let me just finish. I'm just trying to uh, prove a point. And he also knew what, it, what, was, what was inbuilt when God said, go, do what I have told you to, do not eat or drink, take a different route and come back. He knew that it did not involve stopping. It was something most prophets knew. I would say I was making allowance for him if it was longer. I could understand a guy if he had to travel miles like Joseph and Mary did or something. But for a 10-mile journey, no. I was... Oh yeah, he was riding on a donkey too. But let's assume the sun was hot and he ran out of water. <laughs> no, but uh, the reason I offered the 10 miles was out of my sympathy for him. Maybe he was getting the donkey over. This is a strange church. We begin to sympathize with the donkey now. At one point when Chris was reading it, she said, and then the donkey said. <laughs> yeah, it's on the tape. Yeah, yeah so I was making allowances for him. He made a mistake. He made a big mistake, and it's a mistake we make. We seek the shade of oak trees in a land that is wrong. And I can tell you, I've done it. I can tell you, you've done it. So what are real life examples? For we are coming to that in 15 minutes. Hey, Elijah did the same thing finished this big thing with uh, Jezebel and then was frightened by a whisper. Peter, the ultimate apostle, stood and spoke to 3,000, had the keys of the kingdom of heaven, opened the keys, opened the kingdom of heaven for the rest of the world. And then, uh, because of the fear of people, Jeroboam, they plead, Jeroboam means to plead the cause of the people. Because of the fear of people in Galatians 2, 11 to 13, Peter, when the Jews come, moves away from Paul and Barnabas and goes and sits with the Jews so he can eat with them and pretend that circumcision is the ultimate goal. 
And fortunately in that case, Paul stood up and said, what the heck are you doing? And Peter later said, he says hard things. So, it happens on a regular basis, man, to sit under oak, the shade of the oak, because the shade of the oak is pleasant. It must have been a hot day. Principles. Guys, Jeroboam is a human system. We've talked about that. It is effective in churches. It is effective in our lives. Uh, Check and see the things that you and I do uh, because uh, we plead the cause of people. I just want to share something that happened on Friday night. Um, Anne and Elmer and I were meeting with a group of people. And because the conversation was very um, jovial and fluffy and nice, um, um, I told Anne and Elmer, let's break bread with with these people and see what God wants to do with them. And as I saw the conversation going, and the Lord had said, break bread with them and do, I thought to myself, ah, I'll sound like a real holy guy if I bring up this whole breaking of bread thing. So Anne came with the bread and the grape juice, and I said to Anne, ah, don't worry about it. And I went home. And I'm driving home, and I knew what I had done. I pleaded the cause of the people. I saw how they were. I would heard what God had said. But I went with what the people wanted. And I'm driving home. The Lord said, you know, you did miss out on an opportunity because I wanted to... Uh, have these people speak into your life and then I wanted you three to speak into their lives and now the opportunity is gone and there was such hurt in my heart for uh, not because of just missing what I did but the reason I missed out on it for it was because I pleaded the cause of the people and so I called them up I apologized to them and told them I repent of what I had done and then fortunately I was able to call those people up and finish what God wanted to do with them but it would have been far more effective if the three of us had done it together check in your lives how much of your life is um, shaped by the cause of the people in your lives in opposition to what God wants to do guys regardless of how gifted you are If chunks of your life are spent in Jeroboam-like territory, then your life and mission will be undermined. Regardless of how gifted you and I are, if chunks of our life are lived around Jeroboam's table, if that's where we spend most of our time, and by Jeroboam, what do I mean? All those things I told you in the beginning, that kind of a system, that is manipulative, that is soulish, that pleads the cause of people, that... uh, Um, exalts the work of your hands and that uh, brings to nothing rest and dependence on God? Are you a self-made man or woman? I have great pity for people like that. Am I a self-made man? Then I am the worst off from from this lot here. Anyone who is self-made works by the power of his hands when God is calling us to rest in dependence. The Feast of Tabernacles is not a part of my life if I am a self-made man. And so on it goes. Moving on. What Jeroboam didn't achieve directly, the old prophet did through deception. Hey guy, you know when to t- change the tape, right? Uh, okay. What Jeroboam didn't achieve directly, the old prophet did through deception. It's like Balaam, guys. I, I suggest to you that whenever there's a frontal attack on your life and you repulse it, Do not get comfortable because there is always a subtle second or third attempt that is coming. Let me say that again. Whenever there is a frontal attack on your life, be it your marriage, be it your finances, be it your children, be it your 
body, whatever it be, whenever there's a frontal attack, know that after you have overcome it, do not sit easy like Elijah did. Because there will be a second or third subtle attempt. Balaam could not achieve what he wanted through, through cursing Israel, so he brought Moabite women to seduce Israel and got the same results. Jeroboam could not get the Judean prophet to come for dinner, but he did achieve that through another um, pawn in his kingdom who did exactly what the man had avoided the first time. There's a subtler second or third attempt that will be made. That is when you got to stand up. The other thing I want to say is, be careful, and this is an important one, be careful when you minister to structures that are defective or old. Be careful when you interact with structures that are defective or old, or when you minister to structures that are defective or old. Because after you've tried tearing down those structures, they will turn around and will try to fit you in through money, fame, flattery, dilution, or fellowship. Let me say that again. When you minister to old structures that are defective, and now I'm talking about ministering as in um, in terms of your, your spiritual mandate or the church's ministering to old structures. Whenever you minister to old or defective structures, be aware that once you've tried tearing down things in that old structure, it will turn around and try to um, uh, make you a, a part of it through money, through fame, through flattery, through fellowship. Yeah, they'll have a tendency to fit you in after you've tried to tear it down. And it'll happen through money, fame, flattery, or fellowship. May I also say to you that there are many great women and men of God who were trailblazers and were supposed to have gone miles and miles by now, who have, uh, who, who, who initially came to destroy structures and now have become, uh, a part of that structure through fame, through money, through fellowship in a land that was wrong. Many, 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 many. And God forbid that that should happen to me or you. It's very easy, guys. The other thing, we got, uh, we might actually finish in 15 minutes. The, the other thing, the Judean prophet was sent, the old prophet went. In verse 1, we see that the Judean prophet was sent. In verse 14, we see that the old prophet went. Unfortunately, the sent one failed to discern the went one. It's very sad. The sent one failed to discern the went one. Why? Because the sent one disconnected from the mandate of the sender. Let me write that down. It's not just a play on words. The... Judean prophet JP was sent the old prophet OP was went the Judean prophet JP was sent the old prophet OP was went the sent one failed to discern the went one 
because the sent one disconnected from the mandate of the sender. A sent one should always be aware of vent ones. A sent one can discern it. I, I, I'm, I, I, there have been people who have come to Acts 29 who were not sent, who were went. And uh, we have denied them uh, a platform. A went one is one who comes on his own, not in the name. Uh, we sang that song, Sent. We come not in our name, but in the name of the Lord. We represent not our fame, but the fame of our God. We're not here to grow in riches or to seek the things of the world, but we are here to grow in the stature of the one who rules the world. Then The point is, there are some people that are sent, and you know when God is sending someone, and you know others who go because they have abilities, talents, giftings. But they have never been sent to you at that time. And when that happens, uh, be be very aware. Do not accept what went ones have to give you. Or if you accept it, accept it with great discerning. Because even donkeys can be used. That is why uh, when people say they will... Um, you may not hear of it because I don't tell you about it, but when people say they want to come to Acts 29 and perhaps they can share something, very often... Um, I'll come up with a reason why they, uh, why it won't work out. Because we we need to recognize those that are sent to us, and it is possible to discern it. You just know it. Usually, God will tell you ahead of time, or God will tell you when the guy is speaking, or there will be something in what he's saying that resonates with what is inside you. Like when you went to the church in Bristol with Pastor Jerry. Yeah. Yeah. And it surprised him and it surprised his wife. Yeah. That was a case where this man did not know me. Jerry, Pastor Jerry did not know me. I came off the streets. And yet in his heart he heard God saying, You are not to speak today. You're going to go up to that man and ask him to speak. And he took a risk that I would be uh, I perhaps would not have taken. I, I would have liked to take him, but it would have been difficult. Yeah, literally. And that's how that whole relationship began. But he was a man who discerned that Jacob was not coming in his name. I knew the night before that I would be preaching there. So while I'm flying into Bristol, I'm writing my notes for the next morning's sermon. And yet I didn't go and say, God has given me a word for your church, I need to preach. Because uh, if you're sent, then God, who is the sender, will open a door. If you're went, you will have to open a door. The went one came and said, no, 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 it's okay, come for dinner because an angel came and told me you'll have to force open the door. Sent ones need to discern went ones. Recognize the ones who are went to you so you're discerning with what they offer you. They will prophesy truth 
Then they will prophesy lies, they will mourn and bury you and claim you as their own. Went once, will prophesy the truth to you. That's why I'm, uh, I'm wary of vent prophets. And there are many of them around. Went ones will uh, prophesy to you. After prophesying to you, they will prophesy some truth and then there will be some lies. Then they will mourn for you and then bury you and claim you as their own. Guess who this Judean prophet was buried next to? <laughs> the old prophet <laughs> was the reason for his death. Do you understand why a wrong land is so, so dangerous to us? Why it is important to know the field you are to cultivate and why you need a filter around it to know who to let in and who not to let in. Over the next week or perhaps two weeks, it will become clearer in terms of how to keep our land intact or keep what this land means in terms of inheritance. Um, it, it gets clearer. It will get clearer uh, in, in the next three weeks and then if you keep listening to it, it will get clearer and clearer and clearer. Like I said to you, I have to go and listen to these CDs because many of the things that I'm saying are not in my notes, guys. So I'll have to listen to it. And in my car, I'm sitting as if I'm listening to someone else and I'm saying, oh, shucks, that is an amazing point. Because I know that it has nothing to do with me. I'm being straight with you right now. Guys, um, in Acts 29, if you want to speak God's word, then you've got to speak it publicly. Please don't side up to someone and say, I have a word for you when you have an opportunity to speak it publicly. If God says something to you and you do not have an opportunity to come and speak it here, do come and either tell me about it later or uh, tell me about it four days later. It doesn't matter. But do make it known. Because uh, this is not because we want to control what is said. It is because there is safety and order in it. There are times when James has had a word or Ryan has had a word for someone and the first thing James and Ryan did was to come to me um, after the service, before the person left and they came and said, do you know, this is what I think God is saying. Can I go and say it? There are other times where Heidi has had a word or Anne has had a word uh, and they go and speak to the person but they will come back and say, hey Jacob, uh, I felt the Lord saying this and this is what I said to the person. It's not because they need to. It's not a control thing or a monitoring thing. And anyone who has come and done that, I've said, great, awesome man, and I encourage. But the point is there is safety and order in it, and that's how it needs to be worked. If I say something to a woman here um, in uh, private, or if I minister in a certain way, you know what? I go and tell either Anne or Heidi or Chris or Wayne about it. Because I need to be responsible too. So in this house, either speak it publicly or if it comes later, do come and talk about it. Because you are went if you do it on the side. We don't want parking lot prophets here, right? We don't go up to people just before they are going to get into their car to give them a word. We have a house here. Speak it out in the house. If it is... Uh, um, rebuke then you definitely need to come and talk about it before you rebuke questions on that disagreements, challenges unable, inability to understand that feel free to ask right now
differentiate between a word that comes directly from God and something that is transmitted through each phase encouragement of our life? There's no difference. So every time we want to speak to somebody, we need to know what that means? I mean, I understand what you're saying, but, uh, but in, in practical terms, I don't know how do you differentiate. Okay. Oh, okay. I get your question. I get it. Yeah, yeah. If it's directional, if it is uh, something that you think is prophetic, then it should be. Um, if 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 you don't, it doesn't have to run. Uh, it ha- doesn't have to run through me. You can go to any. Uh, you can go to Chris or Heidi or Wayne or Anne or uh, Elmer and speak to them. Tell them. You don't have to necessarily tell me, but someone else needs to know. A word of God that is given in a body, unless it's a rebuke, or unless it's something that has to do with something private, has to be shared in the house. This is not um, a private tete-a-tete. doesn't have to necessarily come to me, because I could be talking to somebody, and the person may be leaving. So take someone else with you. Guys, the other thing is, I don't think, there are very rare opportunities when I have prophesied on someone without someone else standing next to me, because there has to be someone else who can hear what you're saying, so that it can be weighed. It is a biblical precedent. There has to be someone else who can weigh it. So take someone with you. Everybody's busy. Uh, Take Chris. You want to prophesy Ryan? Say, Chris, I have a word for Ryan. Could you come with me? Let's just uh, pray for him and speak over him. Take someone. Because now, Ryan cannot turn around and say, that's not what he said, because there's another witness. And you cannot turn around and say, but that's not what I said, because there's another witness. Everything has to be verified and weighed by two or three. It's a biblical model. Any other questions on that? Uh, guys, if, if you think this is not right, or if, you, if it, it's chaffing, if it's chaffing for the right reasons, apply powder. But otherwise, uh, tell me if you do not agree. And please understand, the same applies to me, guys. I will, I will practice it by the same method. I, will, I do this, so I'm not saying something that I don't do. I'll come and tell you. I'll tell someone in the house. Okay. Moving on then. I got three more points. Oh no, two more points. Guys, don't let the deception don't let deception or deceiver catch up with you. It only happens when you decide to sit under the shade of the oaks of Samaria or Jeroboam. Don't let deception or the deceiver catch up with you. It only happens when you sit under the shades, under the shade of the oak of Jeroboam. Um, you know the word sit there that is used in the story actually is a Hebrew word called yashab, which means to settle or to marry. The word sit used in the story is the word yashab, which means to settle or to marry. So do not settle down under the oak 
of Jeroboam in an in a area that you know is wrong, in a territory that you know is wrong, in a system that you know is wrong, in a lifestyle that is, you know is wrong. Do not timeshare there. Do not vacation there. Because uh, I assure you, in that short vacation, the old prophet will catch up. He will spin a yarn, deceive, and your death will be the prophetic sign for the rest of the people. What a shame. Don't let deception or the deceiver catch up with you. Only happens when you decide to sit under the shade of the oaks of Jeroboam. Catch up with you. Catch up with you. So what is your oak, guys? What is your oak? Uh, how do you find out? Uh, where is it that you sit most under that you know is a vacation spot you shouldn't be sitting under? What is it? May I tell you that one spot you may not think of is no man's land? It is where when we decide not to commit to something. Uh, that's one favorite vacation spot for most Christians. You don't have to commit to it. You don't have to... Uh, it's neither here or there. It's like no man's land. Is there a no man's land in your life when it comes to different areas of your life where you're not committed to God but you're not running away from Him too? You're in the middle somewhere. Surprisingly, the Bible says, reckon yourself dead to sin. Consider yourself a slave to righteousness. There is nothing between dead and righteousness. Either you're dead or you're a slave. I'm surprised that the no man's land that I vacation in in some areas of my life. I mean, I'm doing pretty decent as a Christian. No man's land is an area where, uh, Lord, uh, I love you, Lord, <laughs> but I love you from this spot. Does that mean hockey? <laughs> <laughs> well, is that the example you're thinking of? No. <laughs> you and I need to talk. <laughs> Oh, but the game with Phoenix was so cool, man. Yeah. Uh, Burroughs had a hat-trick, his second hat-trick. Okay. So it's no man's land for you, hockey and plane watching? No. <laughs> Moving on. What is your no man's land? Where do you find yourself most often sitting? Which oak tree do you most often sit under? Is it... Uh, um, is it... Uncontrolled imagination. Is it suspicion? That's a surprising one. I was surprised that God wanted that to be brought out. Is it suspicion? Do you, do you, do you spend a lot of time under this oak tree called suspicion where you're suspicious of your friends, your boss, your wife, your child, your father, your mother, your church? Continuous suspicion. Is it an oak tree uh, of isolation where you spend all your life... Um, Living together alone. Which is an oxymoron if you didn't realize it by now. Is it lust? Is that a favorite oak tree to sit under? Is it self-pity? Is it control? Is it bitterness? Or oh, here's another one. Is it always looking for the speck or the plank in someone else's eye? completely oblivious to both of them in your eye.
Baladeva. That'd be a whole forest of oak trees, man. <laughs> so where, which oak tree do you most often sit under? Guys, the strange thing with things that are holy and things that are unholy is this. And it's in Haggai 2.12. Let's assume that this napkin is holy because this bottle is holy. Now, now uh, Haggai 2.12 says this. If something unholy touches you, are you unholy? Yes. But if something holy touches you, do you become holy? No. It's just the way it works, guys. When you live in an environment that is polluted, you will be affected by it. But just because you're not polluted, if you go and touch an environment that is polluted, doesn't mean the whole thing changes. Meaning it doesn't work both ways. God asks Israel, uh, this meat is holy. If it touches you, do you become holy? No. But if you touch a dead body, do you become unholy? Yes. I think I've confused you good enough. Turn to Haggai 2.12. So glad God knows how to put these words properly. Man, that should be confusing on the tape too. Haggai, Haggai 2.12. Yeah. Okay, starting, here goes. Ask the priests what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by the contact with the dead body touches one of those things, does it become defiled? Yes, it becomes defiled. So it is with this people and the nation in my sight. And then it goes on. The principle I'm trying to get it from Haggai 2.12 is that it is impossible to live in a defective system. It is impossible to live in a vacation spot in the wrong land. It is impossible to timeshare a property that you know is not in the land allotted to you and come out of there without problems. Let's turn to Proverbs 4. I just remembered a beautiful scripture that God will um, put as a nail in this coffin. Nice. Holiness is not infectious, but unholiness is infectious. Now turn to Proverbs 4 or 5, I'm not sure. Uh, um, Let me see. Uh, It talks about taking fire in your pants. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that's exactly what I thought of when I read it, uh, Joan. Uh, Where is it? Um, it says, can you take coal in your lap and not get burnt? Uh, shucks. I just saw it day before yesterday morning. Yeah. Okay, too bad. It's uh, uh, Father, please find it, Lord. Okay, while someone looks for it, we'll move on. Uh, when I say someone, it usually means one person, not all of you. <laughs> so, uh, Joan, if you can just look for it. Yeah, but it takes too much time. I mean, next they'll be accusing me of hockey, planes, and iPods. <laughs> Sorry? Proverbs 4, 14. Uh, no. 
628 okay now the game begins yeah 627 can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burnt the obvious answer from december 25th bomber is no can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched so it is who sleeps with another man's wife so let's rephrase that can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burnt no can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched no can someone who vacations or timeshares in a wrong land come away untouched or unpunished no finally guys if you're unable to leave the shade of the oak that you are presently under please call for help we meet here every th- thursdays for ministry from 9 to 9 anytime you want to so if there is an oak that you have been sitting under and you've gotten so attached to that oak tree and you're a tree hugger now i'd suggest that you call for help do not wallow in your vomit i've had people pull me out of my vomit so i know that it works when others stand next to you finally the last point guys um Psalm 37:23 says God orders our steps the steps of a righteous man are ordered of God so i want us to know this that when it comes to when it comes to living in the right land and not laboring in the wrong land on one hand God orders your steps tell me something how do you order somebody's steps Let's get real, okay? This is this this God is not someone who speaks vaguely. He says, "I do not speak in um, obtuse riddles. I say things clearly." So when God says, "I order your steps," how does He do it? How do you order your child's step? How do you, Mr. James, order your child's steps? What do you do? Teach. How? Direct. With voice, with help, with hand, with gestures, every which way you will order the steps of your children. God is saying, Jacob. you have been made righteous you're a righteous man i will order your steps god orders our steps we should be confident of this in 2010 it is a great confidence to know that god orders my steps in 2010 but here's where the other part comes in god orders our steps but we establish them god orders our steps but we established them for instance last sunday um sarah was running after uh, travis travis was ordering her steps but sarah was not established enough in them and i think she knocked herself against the wall and came crying big deal nothing happened i hope you didn't make much of a fuss about that but the point is ah oh, you did <laughs> okay <laughs> the point is Travis ordered Sarah steps Sarah did not establish her steps and crashed into the wall is the same way guys every day of the rest of your life god will order your steps but you have to establish them how do you establish them you establish them by examining them pondering on them looking at them saying okay i have seen what you have said i will walk in it even though i see two or three steps at a time that's how you do it every time you know this 10000 that we got yesterday uh um, um I, I, i know what god wants to i i have an idea of what god wants to do with a portion of it already 
I haven't told anybody it. When we sit together to talk about it, we will. I have an idea because God has already ordered part of what we need to do. Now, will we do it or not? That is completely up to us. We have to ponder what God has said and it will depend on whether we establish that. Isaiah 7, 9 says the same thing. Isaiah 7, 9 says, have you received a prophetic word? A prophetic word is spoken by God, but it is established when you believe it. Isaiah 7, 9. A prophetic word that is spoken is not established till you believe it. So do not blame a prophet if the word doesn't come true. First ask, did you believe it? God orders the steps, but we need to establish them. You know, let me read you something from the message. Here's a father talking to a son in Proverbs. Dear friend, or a friend talking to a friend. Dear friend, pay close attention to this. My live, my, um, And then he goes on. Um, let me tell you how to have good sense so that you'll keep out of trouble. The lips of a seductive woman are also sweet. Her soft words are also smooth. But it won't be long before she's gravel in your mouth, a pain in your, in your gut, a wound in your heart. She's dancing down the primrose path to death. She's headed straight for hell and taking you with her. She hasn't a clue about real life, about who she is or where she's going. So my friend, listen closely. Don't treat my words casually. Keep your distance from such a woman. Absolutely stay out of her neighborhood. You don't want to squander your wonderful life to waste your precious life among the hard-hearted. Why should you allow strangers to take advantage of you? Why be exploited by those who care nothing for you? You don't want to end your life full of regrets, nothing but sin and bones, saying, oh, why didn't I do what they told me to? Why did I reject a disciplined life? Why didn't I listen to my mentors or take my teachers seriously? My life is ruined. I haven't one blessed thing to show for my life. Why am I reading that? Because guys, it's one thing to have our steps ordered. It's another thing to establish them. Here is the father telling his son, listen, don't go down that path. Ponder your paths, Proverbs 5 says, before you take them. Our steps are already ordained by God, but decide to walk in them. Establish what God has ordained for you by walking in them. Is there a prophetic word on your life? Establish it by believing it and walking in it. This is why you need an inheritance that is legible for you to look at. So that you can begin to do this, guys. So that I can begin to do this. Every time I say you, you understand that I'm saying me too. Life is plotted in the gap between ordering and establishing. God orders, we establish. Life happens between these, in this gap. This is where life happens. Fascinating. Everything in your life for 2010, God orders. And just as you do with your little children, you can hear his instruction. I guarantee you, I only say to you, do not be like the horse or the mule who needs bit and bridle. No, no, no and go, man. But between him ordering and between you establishing, that's where everything happens. That's where faith happens or does not happen. That's where obedience happens or does not happen. That's where discernment happens or does not happen. And that's where patience happens or does not happen. Good, good for you. 
because I know you're sensitive about Sarah. So that's why I said what I said. After you establish, you walk in its steps. But I'm saying your life is determined. May I, let me change the words. Life is determined between ordering and establishing. Life is determined there. Um, you guys who failed at this, Abraham. Guys who failed at this, Jacob. Guys who failed at this, Peter. Guys who failed at this, David. Guys who failed at this, tell me when to stop. Moses. Yeah, Jesus championed this. Yeah, and he had the same advantage as you, Diana. No, I know. I'm just making a statement. Yeah. So let's say uh, life is determined between odd, um, um, your steps being ordered and your steps being established. So if uh, I'm given an order, will I have the faith to believe it so that it be established? If I'm given an order, I might have the faith to believe it, but will I obey it? Faith without works is dead. If I'm ordered something, will I have the discernment to know when the false, uh, or when the old prophet comes my way and tells me something else? When I have been, when my steps have been ordered, will I have the patience to see it complete, or will I, like Abraham, go after Hagar? Because according to how I determine life between ordering and establishing, either I have Ishmael, or I enter the, pro- or I am denied entry into the promised land, and so on. It's endless. So it is determined here. So God orders our steps, but after ordering, what do you do with faith, obedience, discernment and patience? Depending on that, your steps will either, depending on that, you will establish what God has ordered or you will leave it unestablished. That's how it works. Um, Discernment. Uh, could be. I, I haven't put it in any order. It could be shuffled around. Yeah. So, okay. Go ahead. So instead of saying life happens between orders and establishments, life is determined. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Life is determined. And that's how things are established, guys. That's how things are established. Who, who did it right? Um... Uh, all the guys I said failed also succeeded Uh, uh, Abraham, Joseph Abraham succeeded when he was said you will be the father of many nations he had the faith for it he was fully persuaded so he was obedient Um, when uh, uh, he looked at the stars at times and thought his son would come through Eliezer he uh, reminded himself that that's not the way it would be. When the vultures came to eat up his sacrifice, he went and chased the vultures away, which was a way of signifying that the what God had told him was still alive and the vultures that would try to deaden his vision would not get their way. He was patient. At 99, he bore a child. Let's take uh, David. David had sufficient faith to know that he would be a king. He went through years of running as a refugee but was patient and still stuck with it. He was discerning enough to know that even though he had Saul at his mercy and could have killed him in a second, that he chose not to and let him go because he would become king authentically. And David was obedient at the same time. He was very disobedient too. 
it, it can go on and on and on. With everyone who failed, there are stories of success too. So God orders our steps and we establish it. Uh, Psalm twenty, Psalm twenty, thirty-seven, twenty-three, and uh, yeah, Psalm thirty-seven, twenty-three. Yep. Um, the only two guys who really get a good uh, mention from God, are Daniel, and um, Daniel doesn't. There's one more guy who God actually even goes to the extent of saying, even if they prayed for this, I wouldn't listen. <laughs> what God is trying to say was, these two guys are really neat, but even if they prayed, I wouldn't listen. Yeah, no, it was someone else. I forgot. Yeah. Maybe it's, I, I mean, Job, um, Job really messed up, which is why we have three additional chapters in Job. Otherwise, Job's story would have ended up in Job 38. He was pretty upset with God. Daniel and somebody else. I don't remember who the other guy was. They are supposed to be pretty decent. What about? Yeah. He'd be an example of a man who definitely vacationed in the wrong land. <laughs> yeah, poor guy. Yeah, there are many different historical takes on what Judas, why Judas did what he did. But uh, as long as we stick with the um, scriptures, we can just assume things from that. But he, yeah. Guys, um, as usual, don't know how to conclude, so feel free to go. <laughs> if you have any need for prayer. Uh, yeah. Matt wants to say something. Um, I'm sort of been making progress on finding a computer and a recorder to record the worship. And so something I presented to the church to think about, uh, the vision I've been seeing is like when Jacob worships and he's got a set, set list of songs, but then Holy Spirit comes and maybe a piano part comes or a drum part and they start making it up and people speak in tongues and pray out in the, in the audience. So I've seen like handing around a microphone and then when people have words like in the middle, um, sometimes he stops and they'll have a word. Like God's smart enough to use the computer that he can layer the speaking and people's words and their prayers and their stories and their testimonies with the music and the piano and like people could have it as a CD in their car. Huh. If we record the whole thing over like a whole year, we can have like just a prayer CD or there's a healing seminar or people that... Do you know how to do it? Oh, yeah, I know how to... Well, God, is he knows, yeah. But I need... So I, I need a laptop and to figure out all the most equipment to buy, like microphones and stuff, and for the people to start thinking about, even when it's worship, to if you're doing prayers in your own language, just speaking, or the different people that sing. And yeah, so I think it'll be awesome. 
but I need the equipment. I need the laptop and need to know what to buy. And then I need everybody's cooperation to, like, take the mic. And, like, it's some people who are, like, Jacob, he's the leader. It's hard for other people singing to maybe be recorded. But it's good to know that with the computers, you can edit out mistakes. Like Wayne. Yeah. And so, like, people that sometimes in the audience, or, or the audience, the congregation, people, you'll hear them, they're singing, but not very loud, because they don't really want everybody to hear, because it's kind of hard. But if we can get lots of people praising and worshiping out loud, and then I'll record it, and then people can have it in their cars or whatever, and yeah. Okay, so Father, um, you heard it, and uh, if this is, uh, I don't think this is something that we can't do, Abba. I just want us to know when to do it, so um, let it come together, Abba, in terms of equipment and in terms of time, Abba. And uh, if the church needs to do anything about it, do let us know. Or if laptops have to appear for Matt out of the blue, so be it. But we just acknowledge this idea before you right now. Uh, we don't sense anything uh, that doesn't fit Abba. So may it now evolve in your time. And may Matt have the enthusiasm and the ability and the skills required for it. Uh, yeah. Yep. Like his rap, too. We think we can his rap. Start producing that stuff, right? Yep. yep. 